know what it's like to give up a good officer. I'm sorry I'm taking him from you. <laughs> no, you're not. But thanks for the kind words, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but please don't presume my glowing recommendations of Lieutenant Commander Tan are insistence on taking him into your inner circle. He has to earn it like anyone else. I'm just saying you shouldn't be surprised at how quickly he gets there. This guy was a shift supervisor, not a department head. A shift supervisor, and I included him in all of my command staff meetings. I think it irked my chief engineer, but she's a Tellarite. Everything irks her. And he's a stickler for the book, huh? Stickler? That's putting it nicely. He just knows his stuff. His life is manuals and parts lists. It's no surprise he turns to rules and regs to guide the rest. Uh, I seem to remember something Skiffy said to us once about conflicts and warp cores. People are like warp cores. They're significantly less useful if they're blowing up. <laughs> Nicely done. Gracias. Gracias. Uh, Elliot is more of a mindset that you can't write a report if you haven't read the book, so he reads all the books. Sounds like a solid officer. Excited to meet him. Well, thanks for the rundown. Happy to help. So, captain of the USS Pathfinder, how did a guy that didn't know the difference between the ergodic hypothesis and chaotic inflation get Starfleet's premier long-range science vessel? Easy, Captain Charming. I figured it out, sorta. And besides, they kinda had to. I did design the beauty. <laughs> Speaking of premier vessels, what happened with the Benthans? Reports were vague. That's something for a more quiet place. Maybe some other time. But I have heard you were chasing some mysteries of your own. Uh, yeah. We've heard reports from some of the locals that underspace pockets are creating inaccessible, unexplored, but highly advanced galaxies. If they are inaccessible and unexplorable, then how in the heck do they know that they're there? Sounds a lot like folklore mumble-jumbo, but it's the best lead we have in months, so off we go. Exciting stuff. It's not Klingon blasting, but I enjoy it. Me too. <laughs> no, you don't. You're a man built for battle. A warrior. That goes for the Leandro symbiote and all its trill hosts. From Elijah to Balatu. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a bad thing. We need more warriors. Not now we don't. Uh, tell that to the bad war. Transporter Chief Loomis. Captain Leandros, Lieutenant Commander Tan is ready for transport on your command. Very well, Chief. Energize. Lieutenant Commander Elliotan requesting permission to come aboard, sir. Permission granted. Welcome to the USS Prioritas, Mr. Tan. Thank you, Captain. Commander Elliot, congratulations, my friend. I'm going to miss you, buddy. And I you, Tom. Captain, it has been a privilege and an honor to serve under your command, sir. The privilege has been mine. Now, do me a favor and whip these boys and girls into shape, huh? Excuse you. <clears throat> You'll be okay. But if you ever want to come back... <clears throat> Commander Tan, the senior staff have arranged for a small welcoming before we get straight to work. Why don't you settle in, perhaps take a nap, and meet us in the officer's lounge at 20 hundred hours. That is kind, Captain. If I may, I'd like to visit engineering after ensuring my personal belongings have been delivered. Of course, Commander. You should have plenty of time before the gathering to get your bearings. Thank you, sir. 20 hundred hours, officer's lounge. Captain Maroney. Commander Tan. May I be excused? Certainly, Commander. He's a good man and a hell of an engineer. We'll miss him. Anyway, I need to get back to the Pathfinder. Daylight's burning. Thanks for your hospitality, Elijah. Captain Maroney, it's always great to have you embarrass me in front of my officers. <laughs> <laughs> Be safe, Thomas. You too, Elijah. Transporter Chief, set coordinates for the Pathfinder. Energize. 
one of those blessings of old friends that you can afford to be stupid with them. Ralph Waldo Emerson? Very good, Mr. Loomis. Very good. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. listening to episode 207 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, January 29th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, February 2nd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. Well, let's jump right in. We have a lot to talk about. Cookie, what do we have? This week, we check out what Sir Patrick Stewart has been up to recently and his thoughts about reprising the role of Jean-Luc Picard. In Star Trek Online news, it's a big week as we celebrate the five-year anniversary of Star Trek Online. We'll be recapping some of the new features being introduced, but instead of recapping on our own in STO News this week, we're covering the news differently with a special guest. Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, joins us to talk about all the new features. Finally, before we wrap the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. And if Al Rivera wasn't enough for you, we're publishing a video walkthrough of the new Command Bridge Officer powers with systems designer Jeremy Bordicus Randall. And if you're tempted to see these new skills in action, then you're not going to want to miss it. Visit youtube.com forward slash P1 Network to catch this must-see interview. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Admirals, the nominations for the 10th Annual Podcast Awards seem to have been extended until Friday, February 6th. So, if you haven't already, please visit podcastawards.com and nominate Priority One Podcast for Best Produced and Best Gaming Podcast. We need your nomination, so please don't put it off to the next guy. As always, we do this show from week to week for you, and we thank you for your ongoing support. So we've begun recording our episodes live on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live on Thursday nights. The time we usually start fluctuates from week to week, but generally you'll catch us on air at around 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live. Can't make it to the live recordings to catch all the shenanigans? Well, we have a way for you to get your hands on the live, unedited ramblings of the Priority One Podcast crew. Patreon. Like any other crowdfunding sites, Patreon is designed to give fans of a project the opportunity to support creators like us. But instead of just a one-time donation, Patreon allows you to contribute monthly to a creation of your choice. For example, by donating just $10 for the whole month, you'll have access to those live, unedited recordings that Jace was talking about moments ago. But we have other tiers for donations, starting from a dollar and up. 
So check us out on patreon.com forward slash priority one and consider supporting priority one podcasts on a monthly recurring basis. And even if you haven't donated or simply cannot, you can still show your support by dialoguing with us. Your comments, questions, tweets, Facebook messages, in-game chats, they lift our spirits when we get to engage with you. So even if you're a longtime listener, share your thoughts with us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, in-game, however you can reach us. And if you have a special skill or interest that you'd like to contribute to the production of Priority One Podcast, like audio editing, graphic designs, blogging, or something else we haven't thought of, then reach out to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit the website and click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam. And if you're looking for a group to play STO with, then who better than the Priority One Fleet? Join the weekly alerts for some community fun hosted on our Twitch.tv channel by Airborne of the P1 Fleet. Now let's check out what Sir Patrick Stewart has been up to around the web. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Sir Patrick Stewart has been busy recently. Not only is he premiering a new film, but he's also making the rounds throughout the web. On a Facebook Q&A discussion hosted by Entertainment Weekly on January 23rd, Patrick Stewart answers a few questions from fans to promote his new film, Match. But, of course, a few Star Trek questions snuck into the conversation. John Brost asked, Would you ever revisit your role as Jean-Luc Picard if there was a really good script? Sir Patrick Stewart replied, Absolutely. If it were a really good script, but the poor soul is getting old and long in the tooth, he would probably need some help mounting his horse, unlike the youthful captain of 30 years ago. Judy Hughes asked, Throwback to Star Trek Next Generations. If it was real life, what would you program into the holodeck? Sir Patrick replied, That's easy. Me driving a Formula One racing car in the Monaco Grand Prix and just beating Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button by a nose. Mine, preferably. Keelan Griffin asked, Who would you like to see play rookie Picard if they decided to add him to the rebooted Star Trek franchise? Patrick Stewart replied, Well, Kayleen, I would have to say it must be the actor, my son, Daniel Stewart. And I actually googled him, and he's a lot taller than Patrick, but he's also bald, so that could still work. You know what, actually? I would rather see James... <laughs> McAvoy? <McElroy. laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he already played Professor X. You might as well just kind of roll with it. I never really thought they looked similar at all. But there's been precedent already. You know, he did... He played young Xavier in X-Men. Now I kind of want to see him do Jean-Luc Picard. You wouldn't want Tom Hardy? Oh, you know what, though? Actually, you know, honestly, maybe, maybe I could see Tom Hardy doing it. Yeah, I like that guy for Picard. Mirror Picard has the Bane mask. Yeah. (laughs) Some other fun facts we learned about Sir Patrick is that he would like to collaborate with Jennifer Lawrence. And his favorite type of pie is pear tart. That actually sounds quite good. I've never had that. That does sound good. I would eat that. So have you guys seen the trailer for Match? No. I have, actually. I, I, I actually do want to see it. I think it's uh, an interesting story, and it's good to see that he didn't jump. He, you know what I like most about it is that it's an independent film. It's not some big-budget thing. He's sinking his teeth into something he thought creatively, as an actor, met that that inner actor, right? That inner that inner creativity for him. So I'm glad that he, that instead of doing something big like the X-Men or 
or some other big budget film that he that he's going back to to a more humbler type of filmmaking and and type of craft. Yeah, in the Q and A, he said that it was a brilliant script, so it does look pretty good. And this is not the only film that features Sir Patrick Stewart coming up. According to an article on Space.com, he will be narrating NASA's Journey to Space, which is designed to be a large format movie, such as IMAX or Omni. And it takes you through the complex process of space travel and the ongoing efforts to send astronauts to Mars within the next 20 years. Patrick commented, It was a delight to contribute to this exciting film project. Journey to Space will let audiences young and old know how surprisingly close we are to sending humans into deep space. That's so exciting. Not only will this feature plans and concepts for future space travel, but you will also get a look back at the space shuttle program and its role in assembling the International Space Station, and to understand how to live and operate in space. Mark Krenzian, the film's director, said, Patrick's narration is the perfect icing on our space story cake. Everyone in the studio was beyond impressed by his enthusiasm for the project and his dedication to every nuance and detail. This film was shot on location in Florida at NASA's Kennedy Space Center and at Bigelow Airspace in Las Vegas. It's set to launch in select theaters across the country sometime in February, but the world premiere will be at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. in March. Links for both of these topics will be in the show notes. Have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech that you'd like us to cover? Then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online News with a very special guest. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Admirals, the five-year anniversary event has finally arrived. And it's no small accolade that Star Trek Online has kept its servers running and development churning for over five years. And from a small team of just a few developers to an entire wing at Cryptic Studios, Star Trek Online has accomplished what few other MMOs have. It did what few others had done in its time, meld space combat with ground combat. Essentially two games in one, while still staying true to a legacy of canon that would make most sci-fi franchises blush. Star Trek Online is a living, breathing creation, and even though we sometimes feel growing pains, there is no doubt that Star Trek Online is a true contender in the MMO sphere. With over 2.5 million accounts, 25,000 player fleets, 88,000 user-generated missions, 11 Star Trek actors reprising their roles and counting, and new features and systems added to the game with each new major patch, Star Trek Online shows no signs of slowing down. Not only do new features continually get introduced, but new stories are being told that puts us in the prime timeline of our beloved Star Trek. We are captains of our starships, exploring the final frontier, battling clever enemies alongside canonical characters, and boldly going where no one has gone before. And joining us this episode to celebrate this five-year anniversary event is Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thank you for joining us. Very welcome. How's everyone doing today? Great. Glad to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Very happy to be here and very excited about our five-year anniversary. Thank you for having me. 
Well, talk to us about that. What has the ride been like? Well, it's really interesting that you say that because we just had our five-year anniversary party at Cryptic on Friday yesterday. And Stephen D'Angelo hosted a retrospective. It was really cute. He did a uh, TV show like This Is Your Life. And he had a little box copy of the original box copy of Star Trek Online. And we went through like everything that's happened over the last five years with commentary and stories from everybody who's worked on it. And so it's been crazy. I mean, when I think back... I mean, I've been now on Star Trek Online for about seven years. I've been working on the project. I was on the prototype, the first of about six or seven people to work on it. And it's basically been like working like on three games at this point. It's because the game has changed so much. There is the first initial release game, which is practically non-existent currently. And then there was when we first got on board with Perfect World and the free-to-play launch. And that was like launching a whole different game again. And then since then, sometime around season six or so, when we started working on endgame fleets and reputations, I, I would say that's when Star Trek Online really got its stride. Because we got a good cadence of every three months we released some content. We had a really robust endgame. We had good repeatable content systems and a really good story cadence at that point. As you know, we tried to introduce a featured episode series longer before that. But we tried too aggressively to try to release something once every week. And then there was a what everyone called the great content drought. But since then, we've got such a good cadence that, you know, we're really ahead of things, right? You know, we finished our stuff so early and we have such a good schedule. So since around season six or seven-ish, somewhere in there, that's been like Star Trek 3.0, in my opinion. That's been like working on a third game. So it's been like working on three games for me. The feel, the emotion of it has been different. It's weird. With MMOs, you always have this idea that I wish we would just launch what it was right here. But, you know, I said that last year, and I'll say it again next year. It's like, because the game just keeps getting better, and it just gets more and more robust. But that's what's like work on an MMO. It's just never finished. And so, you know, we finished our five-year mission, and we're going to start another five-year mission. We're going to keep going. Well, it's awesome to be on the ride with you, because this game has grown tremendously in the last five years. And being a podcast that covers it, it's nice to have content from week to week. There's a lot of content, and this is going to be a good content year. 2015 is going to be a good story content year for Star Trek Online. There's a lot planned. There's a really good cadence planned. I think people should really look forward to that. Well, why don't we start talking about some of the content released with the five-year anniversary, Cookie? Well, many of the events we're about to discuss will run from January 29th through February 26th. Five years, this is a big milestone, and they are making this year's celebration extra special. We have a new featured episode called Dust to Dust. This mission takes you deeper into Kobali Prime and the mystery behind a strange situation involving Harry Kim and, well, another Harry Kim. Of course, this will be featuring the voice of Garrett Wong, but we will also hear from Jet Laya, voiced by the same actress who played her in Voyager, Kim Rhodes. So, Al, let's talk a little more about this mission. When did you know that this was the story you were going to tell for the anniversary event? Well, I didn't know that this would be the anniversary episode. This was a story that I want to tell. There's basically three or four stories that I wanted to tell at some point you know, while we were working on Delta Rising. Delta Rising left a couple little teasers and cliffhangers. Of, so, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I guess this whole episode is really full of spoilers, but if you haven't finished your Delta Rising, you haven't gotten to level 6, you haven't finished your Delta Rising story arc. And we left a couple teasers at the end of the Kabali Adventure arc. We have a little camera pan, and you see Harry Kim in stasis, a young Harry Kim in stasis in a Voyager uniform. 
And then at the end of the uh, last featured episode that we released, I think in November, after Delta Rising, we had uh, Sila come back. And Sila gets captured. You find her in Alachi space. So there's that story that also needs to get picked up. And then back in Voyager, there were multiple things that we wanted to pick up, especially since we have a good relationship with Garrett Wong. We definitely, you know, wanted to do the story that we told in the anniversary with uh, Ensign Kim. They just ejected his body into space, and no one ever went back and said anything about it because now ah, we have a spare in uh, according to Voyager, and so. That felt like that needed to be addressed at one point. And there's another thing I wanted to address at one point, um, and, and we haven't done it yet. And that is, in one of the later seasons of Voyager, it might have been the last season, the Borg Queen is on the main screen talking to the bridge crew. And she turns to look at Harry, and she says, We'll see you soon, Harry. And they never address it. I have no idea what their plan was for that. And you know, Harry says, What was that about? And we never know. The story goes on and they never talk about it. It seems like they were planning on doing something with it and didn't. And so I've talked with Garrett and he has his own stories about what he wants that to be. So we may come back and touch upon that story uh, as well in the future. But yeah, so we have all these story points that we want to tell. And then as we get closer to a date, it says, you know, which one would make most sense for the anniversary? We have all those in our back pocket. They're kind of like at different points along the way. And then it says, well, you know what, this one because of reasons, this one seems to make the most sense. Uh, it'll allow us to introduce a new ship. We want a celebrity to be on the anniversary, because that's always a big deal. Anniversary is a really big deal for us. They bring in a lot of people, a lot of participation. The anniversary gets a lot of press, and so we want to make it a big deal. And so why we chose that one, it just that one just where all the cards kind of landed, that that one made the most sense. But it was a story that I've wanted to tell for a very long time, because I wanted to address that, and I really liked the Jet Laya storyline on Ashes to Ashes, and we know from Ashes to Ashes that she became a Kabali because her body was just ejected into space and the Kabali found her. So it says, well, it makes perfect sense that they could find Harry Kim's body and bring that back, and hey, we happen to have Harry Kim in the office, so let's tell that story. And it turned out great. I was really excited about that. And then, of course, we got Kim Rhodes. No magic on how that happened. We've reached out to extras in the past, and some of them aren't interested or want an unreasonable amount of money, perhaps, and so we haven't always gotten extras. But I was a fan of Kim Rhodes because she's also on Supernatural. We just looked up her contact info and contacted her manager, and she was excited to do it and didn't realize how much she really, really liked that character and was really excited to play Jet Li again. And there's an interview that you can listen to of me talking with her you know, like the other actors, they've played their characters for seven years. She played it, you know, once for one guest appearance, but she nailed it. She knew exactly what the character was about. She knew all the history about it. She just was a big fan of it herself. So that turned out really good, and it was a really good working relationship, and maybe we'll bring her back again in the future. Now, did she come into the studio? No, most of the actors just record remotely because they're all in L.A., and we have a good recording studio out there in L.A., and they just record remotely, and we Skype in to give guidance and talk to them that way. Um, and then it's just recorded remotely, and then they send us the files. So Garrett and Denise is the only ones that have ever come into the studio, and it's just because they like to. What's your favorite part of the mission, Al? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. What's my favorite part of the mission? Well, I don't know. I haven't really talked about what's my favorite part, but I definitely like the end when there's the emotional kind of discussion between Harry and Harry and Jet Laya. And you're kind of looking at the ramifications of really thinking about what would that happen to you? And Harry's like, you know, how's mom? And that kind of stuff. And if you just kind of put yourself in his shoes, I mean, what would that possibly be like, you know, to be dead but then be back? And 
someone else has your place and you have to start a new life. And I mean, that's the whole point of the Kabbali, which I think they make a really good story element. Why we chose them for Star Trek Online as this kind of a very gray morality, which is the core of Star Trek. The opening animation was really done very well. That was fun to watch. Well, I mean, to watch somebody die. I mean, it was an interesting animation. And I think that captured what happened in that episode really, really well. Yeah, that was something I really pushed for. The team was actually really hesitant to do it and didn't think it would come out great. But I thought it was really important to get that back. And we talked about, well, should we just maybe play a clip from the show? We could probably get approval to do that. But then that might be weird. That'd be kind of jarring. Should we just rebuild the whole thing? And what should we do about Balana? We don't have Balana Torres. People ask whether or not... Did we get Bolana? Did we get, you know, Roxanne Dawson? Or did we pull the audio from there? Did we get a sound-alike? And it is a sound-alike. Um, it's actually the same woman who does the Majel Barrett impersonation whenever you're doing the tutorials or the shields at 75%. Oh, yeah. It's the same woman. She's a talented VO person. Her name's Lonnie. That's her first name. But we figured with enough wind and sound and noise, uh, you know, we could probably hide that, uh, you know, disguise that voice enough. And, you know, you never really quite see... Bolana's face in there. So we watched the episode, that one section over and over again. You really don't actually get to see Bolana's face much, so it was really easy to kind of obfuscate. But that was really important to kind of show where that would go. And we talked about maybe having a thing where you see, you know, Harry floating away, and then you kind of see Harry's perspective. We ended up not doing this um, for several reasons, but I had suggested at one point doing a Harry's perspective of him flying away from Voyager and like looking through his eyes and then kind of icing over and fading over and then waking up and seeing himself and, you know, his reflection inside the case, what you call it, the, uh, the stasis tube, and seeing everyone sitting around him. And instead, we told that story from the camera, you know, from the security camera. But um, we thought about doing that, but we thought, well, maybe that might be confusing because we've never shown cut scenes from someone else's first-person point of view, and people might be confused if it was them and what that was. So we shied away from that. But it was important, I think, to kind of show the flashback of what happened 30-something years ago. Um, so that way to kind of recap and so people knew what we were talking about. Because we hadn't really addressed that story in Star Trek Online before. We did the Kabali, but that was not a Kabali story. Yeah, and I had just watched those Voyager episodes. So it was fresh in my mind. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, cool. Well, you even seem to have put a lot of it together last week in the last episode. Um, yeah. So I don't know if a lot of people put that together, if we dropped too many hints or just enough hints or not, but I'm listening to you. It says, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you pretty much got it. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. What was the tip-offs for you, or was it just seemed like the logical thing to do, I guess, because of the end of the Kabali episode? Yeah, the end of the ground Kabali content, that cut scene with the, don't worry, Harry, I'll take good care of you, and it looked just like Jet Laya, and it was clearly Harry Kim in the Voyager uniform, uniform, so. And the blog, the blog gave it away a lot, too, you know. Oh, yeah, and then that that blog. But your episode came out, I think, before the blog, I think, that mentioned that we got Kim Rhodes and Gary. I'm pretty sure your episode came out before that blog. Yeah, the the only blog that was out about that before that episode came out was the personal log. It didn't say any really names. It said Harry Kim's name, but it didn't say her name, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, we've been dropping hints about Garrett coming back and... I had already posted pictures because he, when he came and visited, that, you know, pictures of us at dinner with him. So everyone pretty much knew that Garrett was going to be recording again, but it wasn't until last week that we mentioned Kim Rhodes. Well, let's jump into some of the nitty gritty of the mission. You know, for players that may not have already had the opportunity of getting in and running the mission, we do have some pointers. What are your pointers? <laughs> Cookie. <laughs> 
<laughs> During the maze, you'll see a little waypoint in the middle of the maze. It's not required that you get there, but if you do get to that point, you will get a free boff. So I recommend that you make sure that you do that. I totally missed that, and I was really trying to explore the whole maze, too. I had no idea until I was past that part. Now, I approached it like you're supposed to any maze, right? Which is like the left or right-hand rule. So I figured that if I were to follow the left-hand rule, mm -hmm. that I was going to automatically bump into this bridge officer. But instead, I got out much sooner than I expected. So I, I missed the bridge officer. But I'll be able to play this mission again and earn the rewards on those separate dates. Right. Yeah, some people are a little confused about the dates. Somebody asked me, says, do I have to play on those days to get those rewards? Says, no, those are the dates that those rewards unlock. So right now, there's only one that you can claim. And then next week, you have a choice between prize A and prize B. And then on the third week, you can choose between prize A, prize B, or prize three. So if you don't play for the first two weeks, on the third week, you can earn all three. But you do have to play it three times. So, yeah, it's not just a one-day thing or that the rewards change. You still have access to the previous one. Right. Okay. Something new we're going to try and see how that goes, and we might do that again in the future if that works out. And then the other part of the mission that was difficult was when you had to cross those sliding platforms where you shot at them, and then they came out, and then they... I don't... I still don't really know how to... I don't know how to do that. Get a long-range weapon. Don't have a pistol or a shotgun. Use something like a sniper rifle so that way you can be at the point you need to be and still have in range of the target to shoot to activate the platform. If your weapon's too short of a range, you may have to get too close to the target and then the platform moves and then you'll realize there's an electrical panel in front of you and you'll have to run around and you'll lose time. It shouldn't, hopefully shouldn't give people too much trouble. It gave me a lot of trouble. I actually have more trouble myself on the first one, on the electricity one. <laughs> I died so many times. I always accidentally double tap and roll into the next one. Yep. So that's the one that gives me the most trouble. I was going to say, I was telling the team last night that when I got up to that part, I was thinking to myself, like that scene in Galaxy Quest, who wrote this? Yes, <laughs> why do you, who builds things like this? <laughs> <laughs> they need to die. <laughs> we wanted to show a story of Harry Kim being this brilliant, you know, engineer, mechanic, kind of, you know, clever guy, right? And at the same time, Captain Kim is also just as smart in realizing that, yeah, I know I know what he's doing, and I, you know, I understand his train of thoughts, because it's my train of thought. That's exactly what I would do, and so he could be helping you counter all of those. But uh, on the maze, my trick that I use for the maze is that uh, I just roll my camera all the way back, and then in, you get to those midpoints where you can climb up top and just get a nice overview and just kind of, you can just do a print screen and then... Just do a print screen and then look at it on your other and put it on the side, then you can kind of see the map at that point, which I don't know why your character does just doesn't do that. <laughs> He's got tricorder. <laughs> oh, you know what, though? That's a really good tool that you can create for a mobile platform for the game like a little you know tablet on the side and look you can look down and you can walk through the maze <laughs> on your tablet yeah you yeah idea idea yeah yeah it's not gonna happen but <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um i actually i'm waiting to see if someone when someone kind of publishes the uh puts the maze up on still wiki or something so i'm sure that'll happen soon first saw all of the walls come up i thought this was going to be like the maze is going to change while you're in it or you'd have to, like, avoid getting crushed and stuff like that. So I was almost relieved it was just a conventional maze. <laughs> uh, funny you should mention that because we actually have something like that coming up in a future episode we're working on where it's not quite a maze, but it's this maze-like thing that does actually change. Raiders so, of the Lost Ark kind of thing? Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
I'm trying to remember something from Raiders that was like I that. just think of the big boulder. He's like the big boulder chasing him, yeah. Oh, the boulder? No, no, just we have this kind of maze-like puzzle coming up where it actually will change. But it's not quite a maze like this. It's a little different. Right, because you have that shifting wall-type technology yeah. from uh, Mindscape. Yeah. So anyway, you'll see. That'll be in a soon-to-be upcoming episode. Cool. And Jace, you had a tidbit for the other moving platforms as well, right? Oh, well, just the uh, electrical grating on the floor of those platforms, I had no idea, automatically retracted all of the platforms if you stepped on them. So I kept falling and falling and falling like what this is supposed to give me like eight seconds i chose the easy way the first time so i could learn it that must have been what i was doing because i would just constantly fall what does it look like i it was hard for me to see what where the floor was and see to shoot at the same time because it was so far up it looked kind of like the electrified floor at the end of the earlier area and it's just little chunks of it kind of yeah so the plat it's these you know long rectangular platforms that pop out and some of the sections are electrified and then others are not, and you have to jump on the area that is okay. not electrified. Which, yeah, and I was just sprinting across and then yeah. falling. So was I. That's so what was I was doing. doing then. That's why I was having such trouble. There's an area of the platform that has no electrical current, but a small little strip of color. That's where you want to land on. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can choose, like, your difficulty effectively. Oh, yeah, this was on easy. I'm no, I'm wondering if... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I did hard. I didn't know... What, oh, you did hard. <laughs> okay, well, there's your problem. <laughs> I did hard on the first one and it was fine, and then the okay. second one, it's like, dang, what is going on? But it just kept respawning me further down, so I was able to at least get far enough to. Yeah, it sort of took pity on you if you, if you, as long as you got a little ways, it would, it, you'd unlock yes. a respawn point. I could kind of jump forward as I fell. We don't do puzzles like that too much, but uh, this seemed an appropriate place to do it. I hope people enjoy it because we didn't want you fighting and shooting Harry Kim, and we could have had some drones or something, but. It wasn't really a, a lot of good uh, critter groups that made sense to for you to be fighting. So we decided on this, you know, we put all the fighting on the outside and the inside is more. Yeah, you were just trying to get past, uh, he's sending all these defenses at you to kind of slow you down while he's working out how to get onto the, how to get, you know, how to beam himself off and get to the ship above. There's been a lot of really good buzz about the episode already. And you mentioned the fighting outside in the trenches. That map is amazing that version of the Kobali ground map that's used. Yeah, the rain and the explosions, and it's just a really live war zone, right? It's a real battle in the trenches kind of thing. So it's the same map that the Kobali Adventure Zone. It's just a section of it chopped off. It's not a new map. It's just saying chopped off and then modified. Uh, and then So the artist did a pretty phenomenal job about bringing that to life, little camera shakes and, and everything. So that's a good little dungeon crawl, good little trench run. Well, let's talk about the rewards for the mission. So completing the mission Dust to Dust will earn you 400 cumendations, and if you earn 1,000 of them, you can receive the Kobali Samsar Cruiser Starship, which is featured in the episode, and you can get it from your anniversary event rewards project found in the events section of the Reputation tab. The best part of the process, like with the seasonal events now, it is alt-friendly. So once you unlock it on one character with the 1,000 cumendations, your alts can earn it at a deep discount. Just 40 cumendations will be required. So, Al, you have made some hints about upcoming content, and we do have some folks already asking, like Logan Omega. So about how long after the anniversary might we expect to be seeing some more playable story content released? Weeks, months, or you know, any kind of date you can give us? Um, I can't give you a, an exact date. We've got uh, Season 10 coming out. You know, we're working on Season 10. We basically try to get something out. I mean, it's not really a big surprise 
about every uh, three months or so. So you can expect to see something around that time frame in three or four months approximately to see the release of season 10. But we probably will release something before that, probably a little more episode or a piece of story that'll kind of be a little, we call a little tentpole story to kind of bridge the gap between them. So you should be able to expect to see another piece of content within less than two months. Is that mission going to be about what was going on with Voyager? Because that seemed to be a very... It's going to continue the story. I don't want to say too much more about what exactly it's going to be, but it's going to bridge the gap and continue the story between Delta Rising and Season 10 and beyond. In addition to completing the mission for 400 cumendations, you can participate in the new daily minigame Omega Stabilization, which will earn you 40 cumendations per day along with a choice of a five-year anniversary party box, 500 to lithium, or the new rainbow coin and streamer shooting party gun. Now here's a special tip. There's been some lag issues on ESD over the last several days, so instead of talking to Q directly on ESD or Quonos, just open your mission journal, J, on your keyboard, and click on the anniversary banner on the left-hand side, the horizontal banner with Harry Kim. There you can hail Q and request the daily mission. Once you get the mission, your objective is to stabilize Omega particles found in three different social zones. Now, there's been some confusion regarding this new minigame. For starters, I don't think many players really knew that this was coming, at least not via any detailed explanation or or demonstration. So there are two objectives with the daily mission, Omega Stabilization. First, of course, is to earn 40 cumendations so that you can get your hands on the anniversary ship. Second is that players will begin to collect a variety of Omega particles that can be used in the R&D system to ultimately create a killer tech upgrade kit. When you start the daily mission, you will fly to a social map specified in the mission. You'll then approach one of the glowing molecules, Omega molecules. A new interactive mini-game pops up that displays four rows. Your objective is to collect as many particles as possible. Now, we recommend not to use your keyboard for this. Instead, use your mouse to hover over each row as the particles near the end. And don't worry about clicking them either. Just move your mouse and hover over the particle. Ever play Guitar Hero? That's, that's what this is. The more molecules you capture, the more points you will score. And in theory, the higher chances you'll get to get a better Omega particle to craft that killer tech upgrade. However, if you don't care about the tech upgrade, which you should, you can catch one particle, stare at your screen, wait for the timer to run out, and you'll meet the requirement for the mission. However, which is basically what I do, even if I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) So good at this mission. In my experience, as long as you score above 2000 points, you have a really decent chance of earning the second tier ingredient in the recipe, uh, which is a sliver. In other words, aim for scoring higher and you'll have to spend less time crafting. Now, if you want to craft yourself that killer tech upgrade, visit your R&D window and click on the science school you'll see a few new event projects that you can start working through. The best part of this new crafting project is, even if the daily mission is on cooldown, you can still stabilize Omega Particles across the galaxy in any social zone. And there will always be two Omega Particles at any given time. You just might have to fly around or walk around depending on what environment you're on. Yeah, we'll include a link in the show notes to a Reddit post that was compiled including where to find each Omega by color. Is this a test to measure the effects of sector space on the player psyche and justify the need of one sector map to rule them all? Well, I'm not quite sure where the leap to where this being a, a test to justify the leap for one sector because we don't really need any further justification to wanting to do that. That's just something that we uh, really want to do. 
But the reason why we did this was I think there was some dissatisfaction last year's uh, anniversary minigames. You know, anniversaries, like I said, were a really big deal for us. We get a lot of participation and a lot of press and a lot of people just come to play. And, you know, they love our featured episodes and stories, but they haven't really liked our repeatable daily. Like last year, you'd have to go in and people got frustrated having to chase little baby cues around our space dock. So we wanted to just kind of up the game a little bit and make it a little bit more interesting, a little more engaging and a little more repeatable. The funny thing is, is why we used this mini game was because this mini game was actually built for the Voth Dyson Sphere, and it just wasn't finished. It was like ninety percent done and not working. Uh, fortunately, the last ten percent of anything we build usually takes twice as long as the first ninety percent. So you figured that math out. But we had built that mini game for the Voth for the Dyson Sphere, so that way when you would go around flying around the Adventure Zone, and you'd have to you know, shut down these mega particles at the different towers is just one of the mission objectives in order to collect things and fix things and stuff. So that that was just a mini game we made and just we never released it. So I said, well, we've got this game. I wanted to get it out immediately after Dyson Sphere before Delta Rising and we still couldn't manage to get it done. And so when we needed something for the anniversary, I said, well, let's use that. And we'll just say Q's doing that. He's kind of put you on a foot race and said, hey, there's a mega particles out there and some people want them and you better shut them down before it destroy the galaxy. Let's see how good you are. And I'll give you a reward for it. And so, you know, we were able to kind of spin it in Q's trickster kind of fiction. That's really the origin of it. I mean, if we hadn't had that minigame, we would have come up with something else. But uh, Matt Miller was the one who worked on that. Matt Miller, our uh, content designer, who previously he worked with us a long time ago, back in City of Heroes days. And he went with City of Heroes to Paragon and then came back with some other Paragon folks when Paragon and City of Heroes shut down. So he's working with us. And I believe you guys met him. Uh, when you visited. So he's the one who made this game. But yeah, we just wanted to add more robustness to it and kind of like the way we do like the Crystalline Entity event where you have to do it so many times, you have so much days in order to complete it in order to get the payout. But if you continue to play the extra Crystal Shard you can put in, you can still get a daily reward. We wanted to make sure that even if you finish this, because we can't guarantee everyone's going to play every day, some people obviously can't, but if you play more than the recommended amount, you can use your extra stuff to get something else. And so um, there's a great way to get a good a really good upgrade just by participation. Um, fairly easy participation for that matter. Yeah, I'm already working on three tech upgrades. One of them will be done probably later tonight, and I'll have two done in a day and a half or so. So uh, I'm looking forward to using them. Yeah, and speaking of tech upgrades, just to remind everybody, as of the anniversary event, you can now run on the R&D system, you can run three research projects of any one school at a time. I don't know if anybody remembers, but when we first released the R&D system, you could run multiple research projects. And that actually was a mistake, and we quickly rolled that back, and some people you know, weren't happy about that. We just did that because, like, well, that's not how we planned it, and we, want, we, know, we didn't want people to focus in on one school at the time. Then later, as we thought about it, he says, you know what, that really is probably a good idea because you know, we know that the, the, you know, the costs for upgrades are really high on the exchange, and... You know, it's because it's not as easy to get to level 15 in a school. And although a lot of people do it, we want more people to be able to get there. And so I think that it would be good if I'm level 15 in shields and you, Elijah, are level 15 in engineering and cookies level 15 in beams and so on. And that way we open up a good trade. If you can only do one research project at a time, you know, everybody has three schools at 15, but not for a very long time. So now you can go and you can run up to three research projects in any one school and it should be much, much easier to get to level 15 in any one school. So superior upgrade kits should be far more accessible 
Everyone should be able to make one on their own in a very short amount of time, one-third the time, in fact, as before, and that should open up a lot of trades and a lot of the prices should hopefully go down. So we're continuing to try to do things to bring that cost down and make those superior upgrade kits more accessible to people. So if you haven't done it, next time you log in, find a school that you want to get to 15 and you can run three of those at once and uh, should help you plug through the levels much faster. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I'm looking forward to doing that in beams because I was trailing behind in beams and um, I want that trait, so I'll be using that using that there. Yeah, that's a good trait. I have that equipped. Now, Al, with respect to the actual mini game itself, we joked before that it's kind of reminiscent of, of a Guitar Hero. As far as I know, those roles are cannot be keybind. Has been is is it possible to have a keybind where players can just kind of use four fingers to go up and down the rows? I doubt that it would probably happen in time for the anniversary, but uh, it's something we can we can talk about. I think we had it working with the keyboard at one point, and it just wasn't fun. It didn't really feel good. It's not like up, down, left, right keys, right? Like on the other mini games, it's one, two, three. Four. And so when we had it mapped at one point for like up and down, I thought it still was mapped to up and down. You can do it with up and down. It's just, it's much slower. It's harder because you have to hit three up and then two down and you do too many, you go too fast. And so that's where we left it there. But I still just like ended up just using the mouse much more. I don't think we have currently the ability to let people remap the game because you probably, if you remapped this game to something else, say to keys one, two, three, and four, it would probably remap your scanning game as well, right? Because they're all using similar interfaces. So I don't know. Next time you get Thomas on, he's really someone you could probably talk to more about that. That's a little bit more up his alley because it's UI. Well, maybe he can give you some insight onto what he could do or what he thinks that we can do with that. But if we were to make that change, I doubt it would happen before the anniversary's over. We've got too many things on, in the pipeline right now. So speaking of missions, we've seen some retooling. I know that some of the changes released to Tribble affecting mark rewards for PvE queues caused a bit of a stir and are now live on Holodeck. Though several ground queues and the atmospheric assault were increased as well, which was not originally on Tribble. Charles Gray posted on this topic, and I saw that you retweeted his remarks, Al. So uh, it's been a while since you guys have spoken this directly about future plans, so I'm interested to hear your perspective on these changes and what's coming down the road. Well, this is a fairly in-depth topic, actually. I feel kind of bad about you know the ruckus being started because it's really part of a larger plan that should just really improve rewards across the board. And we've been releasing things slowly, just piecemeal as it come out. And unfortunately, I, I think it was probably poorly handled that we released what was perceived as a whole bunch of nerfs when people are basically, you know, they're begging for improvements and better rewards. And so I understand why people were upset. I think we probably could have a better job at messaging it, which is why we reposted and put up some more information about it, try to show everybody what we're planning on doing. So the first part that we started working on was modifying the queues. So what we've been doing is we've been doing a lot of data monitoring on the queues. We want to normalize the reward rates, and we can tell how long it takes people to finish the queues, uh, you know, the success rates, and you know, the success rates of the optional objectives and the difference between basic and advanced difficulties and elite difficulties. And so there are some queues that were under-rewarding. There's a lot of queues that are under-rewarding and people are just not getting enough marks uh, or dilithium. And there are some queues that are far over-rewarding, right? And some that are just pretty much right on or just a little bit different. And some of them are, are failing too often. People aren't able to get done in the amount of time. And there's some queues that people are getting done far under par than the time that we had there for the objective. So 
we've been taking all that data and been and making some adjustments. What a lot of people didn't realize is that like two weeks before we released that last note where we had you know these four or five cues that we made that we reduced the rewards for, people completely forgot that two weeks before that we released five cues that we increased the rewards for. What could have been handled better is just kind of releasing that all as one big chunk of information. But basically, as far as I am aware, those four or five that we reduced the rewards for that were really over-rewarding is the only reduction in rewards that we have any substantial plans for. We're planning on doing a wholesale improvement of rewards across the boards, and I posted some of that on the repost that post that Charles had originally posted. I don't like posting too much information until it's well done, you know, and we've actually have the work at least largely completed because at any given time there may be some emergency or someone gets sick or there's some bug that needs critical attention and we have to shift attention to something else and then people start claiming that it's vaporware or it's lying or we don't didn't do what we promised that we would do. So I don't like promising anything at a time, but I felt that it was important to let people know that, yeah, we are planning to increase rewards across the board. And part of that plan is, you know, we recognize some things like, why are people farming Argala, right? It wasn't our intention for people to play the game like that. You know, patrols reward a lot of XP, and Argala is, has, there's a confluence of things about that patrol which make it really easy to play very quickly as opposed to some of the other patrols which are much longer and much harder. The number one thing being that it's primarily Kazon who are really simple, easy critter group and that was intentionally by design. And part of the reason is that you don't have to go from waypoint to waypoint to waypoint through dialogue tree through dialogue tree in order to complete the patrol. Everything just kind of comes to you for the most part. And you got a whole squad of Benthans that are helping you out as well. So you can get a lot of XP from Argala in like 10 minutes or so, while other patrols are, take much longer. And all the patrols reward the same, so they reward really high. They reward at like what we call like reward scale 6 for replay, which is basically 3 is for 15 minutes. So Argala is actually currently double rewarding the normal, considering how fast you can get through it. While Qs, on the other hand, are rewarding more like reward scale 1. And to make matters worse basic cues are at level 50, so the critters you kill are giving you level 50 XP instead of level 60 XP if you're level 60. So we see where all the problems are, and people are like, why aren't you fixing it? You know, it doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, we can't just flip a switch and change anything. It's a tremendous amount of data, and so we're trying to get as much done as we can. But our goal, so without getting too much into the details about what we'll do, because those plans change along the way, but our goal is to treat XP and dilithium like a true time currency. And so when we released Delta Rising at level 60 and we released specializations, you know, we, we wanted you to, to not worry about ship mastery and specializations. You continue to do the stuff that you want to do and then you will earn that stuff along the way. And instead what has happened is that people say, I want XP, and so they found the most efficient way to earn XP. And you know, players will do the most efficient thing possible to earn what they want, even if it's not fun. And when it's not fun, then they blame you. And that's just that's something we realize. That's not their fault. That's just a fact of human nature. And so we spend like three to six weeks on our cues. We spend, we spend a lot of time on and they're, uh, you know, they're made to be replayed. They're made to be played with team very easily. They're designed to not cause a lot of fatigue on replayability because they're in depth and there's a lot involved in them. While patrols are actually quite simple, they're just killing fields for the most part. We don't spend about three to five days tops on building a patrol. They're not made as robust as cues are. 
And we want to direct people to our most playable and robust content like the adventure zones and the queues and that sort of thing. And so unfortunately people have found, wow, I can get a lot more efficient XP out of Argala, but now I'm ticked off because I can't get, earn my marks at the same time. It's not our intent to make you have to give up one for the other. Our intent is that XP and dilithium should be a time currency that you can earn doing whatever you want. So we're going to do things like we're going to improve rewards on queues. We want to improve XP rewards on queues. There's no XP rewards on Adventure Zone missions, so we're going to add XP rewards to those. Adventure Zones will still be a really good source of dilithium, so they actually over-reward, and that's okay. I'm okay with over-rewarding, but I don't want to under-reward. So uh, we're probably going to uh, add dilithium to missions. So from level one, you can start earning dilithium. We want to normalize the patrols. So for instance, I want to make all the patrols more like Delta Rising patrols, as opposed to like New Romulus patrols at Taldewa Sector, you have to get the wrapper mission and then you have to do five or six patrols and then you're done for the day. I want you to be able to just go and do any of those patrols you want. Probably gonna to need to put a cooldown timer on patrols. We have cooldown timers on queues because players will find the best queue. We don't want them to keep doing that one over and over again. Kind of what they're doing with the patrols on Argala, we're going to probably put a cooldown on it, so you want them to be able to just keep farming that over and over again. You'll have to go to the next patrols. But we do want to normalize the rewards, of course, patrols, which may mean increasing the rewards of some patrols, and it probably is going to mean this will be very unpopular, is decreasing the rewards on Argala. But we will be adding dilithium to Argala and all our patrols. But hopefully the increase of rewards and other repeatable content will reduce the need for people to feel like they have to just play Argala in order to get ship mastery and specialization points because you'll be able to earn at a similar rate in queues or, or on adventure zones. So you can pick your solo or your group content however you want and earn dilithium and XP in the background. And you just you play queues for marks or for crafting XP. You play missions for items and for story and... You play patrols for because you want to play solo, and so whatever style you want to play at the time, you can just play and earn the reward you want, but you're always earning XP and dilithium at a pretty constant rate. We got a question from someone in the community about this, about XP. Um, Ryan STO asked, did they plan on making ground missions reward better experience? Because ground tunes can't be leveled on ground right now. You're like the ground critters uh, are giving a lot less XP than space. Yeah, he said, for example, I just did a ground PvE mission... Nukara Trans Dimensional Tactics Elite and only received 122 experience for the kills. Well, I haven't really taken a really close look at them because their rate hasn't changed since we launched the game, but it takes a good couple minutes to kill some critters in space and just a few seconds to kill them on the ground. So they're intentionally, you know, ground critters are intentionally giving you far less XP than space critters are. I mean, you can kill some with one shot on the ground if you load it up with the right buff. So the rate is intentionally different. Now what's not working the way I would like at this point is uh, the team bonus because they're both the same for ground and space. You get a bonus XP for teaming up with a team. It's just to kind of like incentivize people for teaming up. And part of it is because the idea that you're sharing XP because someone else might take your kills. But in space, we actually spawn more critters to compensate, but on ground, we don't spawn more critters because you're just replacing bridge officers. So it's the same, same ratio. So we want to change it so that way you can actually get a... Uh, this is a, actually doesn't help his question, um, that you can get a higher bonus on the ground for teaming up because you wouldn't be able to kill things as fast. But on space, we wouldn't give you... don't need to increase that because we do increase the number of critters and rank of critters, so they do reward more. So actually, that would help address this question if we're able to give a better bonus if you're playing in a team for ground. 
But mission rewards are the same regardless. So if you are playing an episode, a featured episode, majority of your XP, and that's always been the point of our game, Critter Kills have never been the focus of XP. And part of that was a decision we made, you know, five years ago or seven years ago that because the Star Trek game, it wasn't about killing, it was about completing the mission. So the majority of your XP is supposed to really come from the mission. So uh, if you're finishing the mission, you're going to get, you're, that's where you're going to get the bulk of your XP. The current problem is if you're playing on an adventure zone, like a Bali adventure zone, you, the missions aren't rewarding an XP right now. What you are getting is you're getting a big chunk of dilithium, like 720 dilithium for doing a very short mission on the adventure zone, but you're only getting XP from the critters. So once we add the XP to the ground missions in the adventure zones, hopefully that should alleviate any of the players' uh, question there uh, because you're already getting it from an episode. You'll get one from the adventure zone. We're going to be increasing the XP for completing any queues, so that will increase. So if you're playing a ground queue, you'll get more from there too. So overall, you'll get a lot more XP from ground missions, but not necessarily more from the kills themselves, but because they are very fast, right? So hopefully that should alleviate things. In general, my message that I'm trying to say is that we understand what the problem is. We're not blind about it. We're not ignoring it. It's just a lot of work, and we understand a large part. You know, we understand the problem. We understand the concerns, and I get it. I grind Argala too, you know? I do. I go there and when I want to get through a new specialization, it's the fastest way for me to get through not specialization, it's the fastest way for me to get through a ship mastery. I don't want that to be that way. We don't, none of us do. So we're working on it, we're fixing that, and I don't know if we're gonna start seeing those changes in piecemeal, if we're gonna get them all out at once, but we're actively working on it. And uh, you'll get some of it in piecemeal and then a big chunk of it all at once, and then there'll probably be a problem. And again, and we'll, we'll address that as it comes, but we're trying to stick with our goal that Consider XP and Dilithium as a time currency. And so you can just, whatever you do, you can earn that at a standard rate. Some things might give a little bit more, like we're going to continue to leave that extra Dilithium on, on Adventure Zone, so incentivize people to play that. But uh, we won't have anything less than the standard. Like Dilithium is always supposed to be like 480 for 15 minutes on average, and people play at different rates than others. But that's the general goal is 480 Dilithium for 15 minutes to play. XP is a little more complicated because it's level-based. And again, just to reiterate, these changes, these seemed nerfs on these cues are, again, just the beginning of this change and this redirection. Yeah, and because those were just happened to be some cues that were far overperforming, and Argala is overperforming. So that's probably going to get a little bit of nerf, but it shouldn't be a problem because everything else is probably going to get so much better that people won't really care about Argala anymore. It should be pretty standard. You know, because Argala is rewarding for a 30-minute patrol, and it's really only a 10-minute patrol right now. But yes, the major nerfs are behind everybody, and I think it was unfortunate the way we released the information. It's supposed to kind of summarize everything. That's why we would summarize everything. But in general, all the rewards are just going to go up, and I think everyone's going to be really pleased with that because I think it's really going to allow people to just go ahead and play the content that they want to play and earn the marks and the dilithium and the XP that they've worked for. There's probably always going to be PvE content that players are probably going to gravitate towards more than others. Actually, it's funny because Alt Exist, uh, one of the previous hosts from years ago from Podcast UGC was on our team speak the other night. He had brought up an idea, and as you were talking, kind of reminded me of that. He suggested that because there's probably always going to be content that you know, players will gravitate towards, if the system can automatically identify, for instance, if one piece of PvE game is being played way less that maybe for a short period of time 
the rewards would be boosted so that players could go and play those missions. I think a system like that is actually a good idea. We do something very similar to that in the Foundry. The rewards for a particular Foundry episode is based on averages of play. If people start playing, if it's completed too quickly, it's not going to give a reward or it'll give less rewards. It gives reward based on average playtime. So it's not a bad idea to do that, but there are risks of people gaming the system which they do in the foundry, right? They did notoriously, we've had problems with people doing things like running bots on missions to extend the average playtime on the mission. So that way they could come in and then reap the reward of like an hour of gameplay and they finish it in like a couple minutes. So it can be gamed and it's dangerous, but I think it's completely improbable to make the system perfectly balanced. There will always be something that this is the most efficient thing to do. This is the most efficient mission to get, this most efficient way to get lithium or XP or whatever, and players will find it and they will gravitate to that, which is why we add things like cooldowns, and which is why we'll probably add a cooldown to patrols, and just like we do on queues, because if there is something that's really efficient to do, you can't just keep doing it. You're going to have to go on to something else, and that's kind of the way to incentivize people to play different content, which has also been in the past a reason why we've had certain content that you can only get this kind of reward here and this kind of reward here because you had to play different things to earn different things. But we're kind of loosening that up a little bit. You will saw that with choice of marks on patrols and now that we're normalizing XP into lithium across the game a little bit more, um, trying to let people more play the things that they want to do. But at the same time, adding incentives like the cooldowns to say, well, now I've got to do something else because I can't do this now. So I think you still need that fail-safe, even if you did a system like uh, Altexist suggests because uh, I would worry about it getting gained. Somebody would find a way to gain that system. Because I can see that, especially for crafting materials, right? If there's a mission, a PvEQ, that nobody's playing, that the mission, the system notices that, okay, it's only been played five times in the hour. Let's incentivize that somehow and boost X, Y, and Z, whatever the case may be. That might be fun. That might get more people playing, you know, uh, I don't know, Mind Trap. I love Mind Trap. I want more people to play Mind Trap. It's a really good. It's a really good mission. It's just Charles it's, designed that, didn't he? I think Charles made that, but it's not a fast one. You know, we'll probably improve the rewards on that one significantly, get people to play it. One one of the things that might somewhat scratch that itch a little bit is one of the things we've been talking about for some time is doing a, a double reward Tuesdays. So that way, every Tuesday, we have this one patrol is like triple rewards just for this day, and just kind of rotate those out on things that people aren't currently playing. Because we do have that data, so we can manually do that, um, but currently can't automatically do that. I think the easiest thing to do is try a little manually right now, see how that works out. You can always go back to the hourly yeah, events. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we'll go back to the hourly events, but having uh, more events that are just specific, is that everybody just come and play this and earn it'd be something different all the time. It's always a good turnout whenever we have like double XP weekends or crafting weekends or anything that gives a lot of extra rewards for something that's... Um, it attracts people to do that content. So we might just kind of zero in on it a little more specifically and say, hey, uh, this is Mind Trap. Today on Mind Trap, you can earn triple XP and triple dilithium on marks and triple marks on Mind Trap right now. But a lot of people would play Mind Trap. That sounds pretty cool. I, you know, actually talking about this, I was curious about the Ilachi alert. Is there something about that that is it just for the story reasons that you don't keep it in all the time or is it that it's unusually rewarding in some way so it would be unbalancing to have it outside of the weekends? It's purely story. I mean, it was originally designed to be the teasing of the, you know, beginning of uh, Sphere of Influence. Sphere of Influence, yeah. 
that all of a sudden the gates were unlocked and this was happening. So it was kind of the idea of having a world event, right? That just happened. And it just happened and it's now and it's over. The event's over. So it was fairly easy for us to put together. And then we brought it back later. And so the idea of just having this limited time event and I was there for that and that's kind of cool. If I had my way, I would actually remove the crystalline entity from the queue and only just had it in the events. But unfortunately, we don't have enough ways to earn Nukara rep. There's not enough queues. Otherwise, I would remove that and just have it as uh, a unique event. The more people come in to play it, it's, just, it's far more engaging. And it's just generally very successful when we run events like that. And we have a lot of queues. And so the more queues we keep adding, the more we start spreading people thin. And so we're probably going to retire some queues like we did with No Win Scenario. Is it coming back? It will come back, but in a very different way. I mean, No Win Scenario just, you know, it was supposed to be a No Win Scenario. <laughs> and it turned into the way some people farmed fleet marks, basically. Yeah. And so people beat it, and it was rewarding a lot. And, and you know, the interesting thing about No Win Scenario is that the average play time on No Win Scenario was about 10 minutes, the average play time. But it didn't matter on how far you got. If you got to you know, wave three, or if you got to wave 10 or whatever the highest wave was, uh, you still played for 10 minutes. It's exactly the same amount. If you were bad, it took you 10 minutes and you lost. And if you're really good, it took you 10 minutes to do that much content. So it was a really interesting piece of data. The difference was very, very insignificant. It was in seconds on average play times, depending on the wave. The problem was is that people were figuring out ways to get through it. People are getting more powerful. They're level 60 now and have a lot more powers. And so um, it's no longer the no-win scenario. And in order for us to normalize it, it was turning into such a, well, you know what, we're going to really have to significantly nerf these rewards. We're going to have to, because so many people are getting to the end now, and then it's going to get to that point where people are just expecting to have to get to the end and have to get to the end in order to get the rewards that I needed. And so it just doesn't fit in our game anymore with the way it currently is. So we just have to redesign it, redesign it to what it was, you know, to more what it was, what it was when we first released it. It's a tricky one to balance. And so if we were to just do a little band-aid solution, it was just going to tick off too many people, and understandably so. So we just need to redesign it, and then we'll bring it back. Al, speaking of numbers, and I don't know if you are uh, interested in going into this too much, but I'm sure people want us to ask again about the queues and the the numbers that it's generating in terms of people waiting and you know, the various reports that people are submitting regarding waiting for prolonged periods of time where others seem to be able to pop right in. Is there anything you can comment to that about? I think that the claims are fairly exaggerated. We have a lot of empirical and anecdotal evidence to see that queues aren't nearly as empty as people say that they are. That being said, I do know that people are playing less queues than they're playing more things like Patrols and Argala for the reasons I said before. They're not rewarding the XP that they want right now. And so totally get that, right? I'm doing it too. It's because, it's, yes, it's just easier for me to hang up by Argala and just keep playing that over and over again to earn the XP, which is what I want right now. What I do right now, my play style, is I go and I do a bunch of queues and earn my daily from each one of those queues and improve my reps, and then I just do the patrol over and over again to earn my XP to get my get my mastery and earn my, uh, my specialization points. That's not the playstyle we want. Once we improve the rewards, I'm fairly certain that the population and the patrols will, will go up much, much higher because people will follow the rewards. And so we'll want to improve the rewards and our best content, which is Adventure Zones and, and queues. So I'm suspecting that issue will correct itself once we get that complete. So let's talk about the new bridge officer training system. 
How did this redesign come about and what were the goals with it? It was something that I've wanted to change for years. I really, really did not like the old system. You know, one of the first things from the beginning that people didn't like was, I would guess you would call it the first time you do it, the shock of training a power and then losing your old power and kind of being ticked off that you invested expertise. That's something I think maybe a lot of us has gotten used to because we've got, you know, so much extra expertise. It doesn't really matter. It's cheap. But when you're a beginning player and you put, you know, nine points into one power and then you change it to something else and you lost it, that kind of bums you out. You didn't realize that was going to happen. There's also the fact that you have nine ranks in any bridge officer power which really was far more resolution than we ever needed and it was just kind of silly because nobody ever had one point in a bridge officer power they had nine or they had all that they had that they could possibly spend if they happen to you know if you're leveling up and you just don't have enough you just you just you put in what you have until you get more and then you make it nine again so it's not a choice it's a non-choice you want to get rid of that we wanted to make it far easier to train a bridge officer and not have to manipulate through like four or five different screens, right? Look at your bridge officer screen to see where you promote him, and then you go to the skills page to see what skills he has, and then you see his powers in the station seat, and then you have to go to a bridge officer trainer, and then you see what they can sell, and then you see which in the bridge officer trainer contact. You can't even see your bridge officers. You just see these are the items you have, and these are who it can go on. And you have no way of comparing it to the other bridge officers. Whenever I would change ships, and I'd have to retrain bridge officers for a ship, if I'm going from an escort to a cruiser, I'd have to write it all down, what I'm doing. It's hard to change ships. It's hard to train your bridge officers. It was just never satisfactory, and his UI was just really, really clumsy. So the goal was to just make all of that better. Another goal we wanted to do was we knew that from some evidence that there were several players that would get to level 50 or whatever, get to the end game, and never promoted their bridge officer and didn't realize that A, they could change their powers, or B, that they could even promote them and they were still running with ensign powers. And so we wanted you to never have that problem that you would have to know that you had to change or that you know you'd have to promote. So right now, if you once you get a bridge officer, even if you don't promote them, you still get... If you're a captain, your bridge officer will have access to their commander powers, even though they aren't a commander. But if you want to change that power, then you do have to promote them. So we wanted to make it take out that extra step. And we wanted the idea that you could just kind of collect them all on a bridge officer. Not that you need to have them all in every bridge officer, because the price does actually go up quite high. Every time you train another power in a bridge officer, the expertise cost keeps going up. We wanted you to be able to have each bridge officer have a handful enough so that way... If I'm going to slot him in this cruiser, I want him to have fire at will. But if I'm going to put him in this cruiser, I want him to have a high yield or, or something. And you could easily just swap that out without having to go to Earth space dock and do any number of steps. And it gave us an opportunity to tie it to the crafting system, make it far more obvious that when you improve a skill that you can actually train a bridge officer. So now, without having to do anything, you have a new school and you have a whole bunch of recipes based on which skills you bought to be able to train your bridge officers. And then you can make those crafting manuals and you can, instead of having to trade a boff, like, hey, I want, will you train my guy in Torpedo Spread 3 or whatever? And I'm an engineer and I can't do that. I have to give you my boff. And then you say, thank you. And you walk away and you steal my boff. And how tragic is that for someone to steal your bridge officer that you really invested or attached to? So now you don't. You just give them the training manual and then you can just can trade them in that. So there was a lot of reasons what we wanted to do and a lot of things we want to change. And so I'm very excited about it. And so... Uh, I hope everybody is enjoying it. I know it's going to be a change. 
Thomas Moroni changed all the icons and all the powers, so that you have to learn two systems at once. But I think the new icons are like a million times better than they were before overall, so that should be pretty good. There's a little bug right now that is really unfortunate with the bridge officer training. So we have two different types of bridge officers in the game. We have algorithmically generated bridge officers. Those are basically ones that are randomly created that come with a random power. There are also handcrafted bridge officers, ones that we make by hand so everyone gets the same one. Those are usually like the ones you get from missions like the uh, Jem'Hadar bridge officer or the Riemann bridge officer or the Liberated Borg bridge officer. They all have to start with the same powers. Some of them come with a special power or at least a really rare power. And so and even some of the algorithm officers come with special power. So we ran a fix-up script, which is why there was a lot of lag in the beginning, because everyone coming in, every one of the bridge officers were getting the fix-up script and running on them. And uh, if you had that bridge officer slotted and you had changed its power, when the fix-up script runs, it kind of messes them up a little bit, insofar that if you try to change the power back to what you want, it looks like it's broken in the UI in the stations page. If you just remove that bridge officer from that station and put him back in, he'll fix himself. That will take care of that. If you try to fix it while he's slotted and map move, it's just going to keep breaking. So just take him out and put him back in and he'll be fine. He's not broken, it's just temporarily broken. We've got a fix for that coming out. They're working on that. But old bridge officers that you may have out-trained in some powers, those powers will be restored. So you'll see some of your bridge officers already have multiple powers for any given rank. I'm sorry, but these are only the handcrafted bridge officers. I believe it's only the handcrafted bridge officers. I don't think any of the algo bridge officers were fixed up. I don't think that was actually going to be possible because uh, there was no way to tell which one you got uh, when uh, when you received it. So those should be restored. And those are the ones that you know we know guaranteed came with a special high power. But it didn't change the way you you know the, the, any algorithmic bridge officers. We didn't change any of those. They're just exactly where you left them. But the, you can always get a shot at getting another one of those just by going to the bridge officer guy and just buying one. So, but the handcrafter ones are just unique. You get one and that's it. You never get them again. So, especially because some of them are like tied to like featured episode rewards that only come around like a couple times a year. Our new audio assistant, uh, Frederick Redegard via Facebook, is curious about the philosophy behind the new game mechanics and its features. Does the team ever have a concern that some of the systems like the R&D... Uh, and it's linked to the new bridge officer training might confuse some more novice MMO players? There's always a risk that something might confuse something. We put in what we hope is a really good tutorial on the uh, skills page for bridge officers that's completely replayable. If you go there, uh, as soon as you open the skills page, there's a big button there that says click on here, and it explains the whole system for you. There's a little question mark you can read, and it'll tell you for that. So it's always there, and you can click on it and rerun that tutorial anytime you want. The game is complex. No denying that Star Trek Online is complex. The whole goal of this is to have less complexity because now everything should be far more exposed. So, like for instance, linking it to the R&D system is far easier than what most people even realize that it was tied to just the skill system that you could actually train your bridge officer in in a particular power that you may have unlocked. It wasn't exposed anywhere. You could never see that anywhere that you could actually train your bridge officer. Now it's right there exposed. Bottom line is if you don't ever use it, you're not any worse off than you were before. You can still go to the bridge off trainer and train them, or you could not train them. In general, it's far more fail-safe than it was before, and it's far simpler than it was before, even though there's far more things to do with the system, I believe. I mean, it is a new system, and so people will have to learn the new system as opposed to the old system. One of the things that I can tell you that we are planning on improving 
the current skill page for the bridge officer, it's actually not the final UI. It was just the one that we could get done in time. We, oh no, it's already done. Never mind. I take it back. So they've already got the better UI in. So I didn't think they would have this done in time, and they they did. So it's there to learn. Without exceeding your own expectations. Yeah, I just didn't think they would have it out in time. But uh, we had planned on not getting it done until later. But yeah, it looks like the UI team got it done in time. So yeah, it's basically it's a sticker book. These are all the powers that you can learn on this guy. And there's a little red thing, and it says requires the appropriate training manual. And then you click on the buttons and it tells you in the help page where to go to get the training manual and you can train manual. So we'll probably start throwing training manuals in as rewards throughout the game too. So this is also a far easier way for us to introduce new bridge officer powers very easily and say, boom, here's a training manual. You can just have this photon torpedo high yield four, right? And it's just this one rare training manual. And that would be pretty awesome to have. Not all your bridge officers can have it and you can only get one and then once you train it, that's it. But that's not something we could do before. Could never do that before so this opens up a whole other possibility of rewards uh, hadn't thought about that yeah because everything is now item based right the whole system is item based instead of whatever based it was before non-item based so have you had a chance to experiment with the system at all not to craft a device i mean i had the bug most of my bridge officers are handcrafted bridge officers mm-hmm. so when i logged in I, they were a little jacked up yeah. yeah and i was i freaked out for a second i was like oh my gosh my yeah. original power that i bought <laughs> yeah is gone but it's there and i apologize for that that was just a really that's a kind of unforgivable bug but yeah just unslot them and slot them back in and then you should be able to select the old power you had before plus you had his original powers on there that you may have trained over. Which is a nice bonus. I mean, you know, the ability that you're that the handcrafted bridge officers that you earn one way or another, whether it's the Android or one of the pre-orders, that if you change the power, hey, the original power is there for you. You don't have to retrain it. Yeah. Yeah, like I got the veteran bridge officer. I think this is the, from the veteran rewards. He's got a couple, like, versions, three versions of, of some powers. And I've never slotted him because I didn't want to lose that power, but I didn't really have a place for him yet. So now I don't have to worry about that. I can use that bridge officer. He's a really good bridge officer without fear. And I can retrain that and then move him to another ship and then take the other power back again really easily. Try changing ships and see what your experience is like. It's going to be so much simpler to change and pick your bridge officers and then move their powers around. You'll probably, the first time you realize, oh, I've got this guy has cannon rapid fire and he's completely worthless on a cruiser. But now I can just change it to beam fire at will without having to retrain him. Right? That's really the point of the system. It should get people to swap ships more easily, which is what I'm doing a lot now since I'm trying to earn all the ship traits. Right? Mm-hmm. That works really well with, like, for instance, the Romulan operative because people like to have the two Romulan operatives. And so I, in my escort, I essentially had four Romulan operatives, two of them for my beam and then another two for my escort. Now, technically, I can have two, train them, and interchange them. You should actually overall need less bridge officers to keep track of. You'll still need to have multiple bridge officers because it gets expensive to try to have one bridge officer know everything. It should be far easier to experiment with different types of builds, Mm -hmm. see how things work. It should be far less scary to get involved in specializations and try an Intel ship and test out an Intel power to see how it compares to, you know, engineering team and say, you know what, I don't like that or I do really like that. And let me try this other one because I don't know if I really want to, you know, have my Intel specialist have all Intel powers. Well, now you can just kind of dabble with them and see which one you like better. And you can do it on the fly, right? You're in the middle of a mission. It's not, I don't like it or whatever. I just, you know, just swap it out. And then with specializations, you can now start training your bridge officers in specializations, right? You can now 
train your favorite bridge officers intel instead of those particular ones that you may earn. So if you have a favorite, you can make him an intel. And you'll be able to train them in multiple specializations once we get command and we'll have more. You know, as we keep adding them, you can keep training your bridge officers in multiple specializations. Just like a player, though, you can only ever have one specialization active at a time. Now, Al, remind me again, when you receive a new bridge officer, right, where you used to be able to join or train, if you chose to train, you would just get a technical manual? Is that what happens now? That will happen. That currently does not happen. We are working on that right now. If you get a new bridge officer, the only thing you can do with him is either have him join or not now, and he'll go into your potential bridge officer. Actually, I think there might be a bug, and he might just go into your inventory right now. I don't know if they fix that. But basically, he would, you know, he should just go into your officer candidate's UI. Yes, what you will be able to do then is say train, and then you'll get a list of which power you want to rip out of him for a manual and basically turn him into a manual that point so you'll basically get the same thing but right now you can't do that so if you want something off of those bridge officers don't go and throw them all away because they're not worth anything they will be able to start turning them into training manuals shortly Um, we just couldn't get it done in time for the anniversary that's good i had seen that there currently was a gap where those this handful of powers that were normally trained exclusively that way weren't available yet but i hadn't seen that it was going to be by having those specialty bridge officers create the manuals that's cool yes some of the random bridge officers will end up with a power that you can't train in any other way and so those you want to keep holding on to those guys and so that we can turn those into training manuals and give them to your favorite bridge officer so it's kind of like deconstructing right it's effectively disenchanting is effectively what it is you just you get this guy and you don't want the weapon instead you want the module out of it so it's a decon you can just deconstruct this bridge officer into a manual and slot it on the one that you want. So yeah, that just didn't get done in time. And um, there are still several skills that you can't train in rank three of. We have a plan on releasing those. It will probably be tied to a skill revamp in the future, which is no small task. We haven't started working on it. We've only started brainstorming on it. But eventually we will work on a revamp with the skill system to make it my goal is to make it more like specializations, make it more like a tree and more traditional power tree. And then once we do that in there, we will add, that's likely where we'll add the, the other powers. There, we may release them in other ways. It's not final, but there is a skill revamp planned and we will find a place for those other rank three powers, which are currently basically unavailable in the game right now. Don't forget, Admirals, Dilithium Bonus Weekend is coming up February 5th through the 9th. During that time, Dilithium rewards are boosted by 50% and in a few places doubled, such as the Ferengi and Fleet Mines and Lockbox Dilithium tickets. So that will be a great time to turn in your contraband or swap out your Marks and Borg neural processors for Dilithium. And we actually want to spotlight a community member at Starfish1 because it's been a long time since players have seen an updated graphic that displays all the playable ships in Star Trek Online. And it's understandable why. I can only imagine how long it takes to put something like that together. There are dozens, now hundreds of ships. 450 ships, Elijah. That's in the, if you've seen the, the infographic, there's, that does include a few duplicates, because it's actually a separate ship, that's like in the lockbox with the Romulan and the Fedget. But it's probably realistically around 400 ships. It does include fleet variants. So yeah, a lot of ships. I don't know how he's making that graphic so big. I, I don't know either. And so we encourage you to check out at starfish underscore one, the word, O-N-E. Uh, it's a full, beautiful graphic with a significant amount of detail. Now, it's only for the Federation ships right now. 
And it's a big image, but it's got all the necessary information you'll need to kind of help identify what ship you might want to start flying next. And that's on Twitter, by the way. You didn't say that. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online news this week, and we want to thank our very special guest, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for joining us and talking about all these awesome features. Now, you want to stay tuned for Part 2, which will be released next week, where we get to some community questions. Al, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, Thank you again for having me. I hope to come back real soon and talk about more stuff. There's so much more to share. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Hi, this is Keeney1975. I have been listening to Priority One Podcast, episode 206, while I'm working out. (laughs) Frankly, I'm knackered. Enjoyed the show. Thanks and bye. Well, a big thanks to Chris Keen. We're glad that we can join you for that workout. Now, dude, come on. Just one more rep, man. You can do it. Come on, man. Yeah. There's that inspiration I know you were looking for. I'm terrified now. (laughs) Well, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. So our first community question was, do you think Simon Pegg will give us the best film of the reboot? Or do you think we're going to get a movie with action, humor, and very little philosophy. John posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I have no problem with the JJ-verse. I see them more as good sci-fi action movies. Star Trek is not meant for the big screen. It's made to be on TV once every week telling stories. Not one epic one on the big screen every third year. Simon Pegg might do a good job, but overall my expectation is to bring a new TV series. Yes, I agree. I mean, I like movies too, but I really want a TV series. The Notorious Loot Critter writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, My expectations went up when Orsi left the production. While there are great moments on both movies, they dropped the ball with Into Darkness. Great actors, an amazing IP, and they chose to redo one of the most beloved movies in the franchise, and they botched it. Simon Pegg is a decent writer and certainly knows the materials. At the very least, it's going to be funny with a big heart. Our very own... Chief Audio Editor Ben Churchill commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I'm confident that Simon Pegg will be able to help write an excellent third installment. A few reasons for this. One, it takes an intelligent person to create excellent comedy like he does. The smartest comedy writers know how to balance comedy with the drama to get the best effect. When writing something of more serious tone with some lighthearted scenes and lines, he will be able to bring out the best parts just as easily. I think he is too smart to write a Star Trek version of the Hate Tracker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is what it would be if you mix Trek and comedy. Number two, he can write from an actor's point of view. I work in the TV industry with actors, and I have heard too many times to mention that a writer has written something that isn't within their character. Something that sounds good in a writer's head is not necessarily acted out aloud just as well by a different actor particularly if written by a writer with no acting experience. And number three, he's a Trekkie that has no doubt noticed other Trekkies' opinions of the last two films. Yeah, he did get himself into a little bit of hot water with some fans because he defended Bob Orsi very uh, vigorously, we'll say, uh, during one of the little kerfluffles. But generally, Peg is is pretty beloved. He's a fun Scotty. Our second community question is, what are you going to miss about the 14 old Romulan missions? 
On the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, USS Ackerman writes, I think the main reason people are upset about the loss of XP from the amount of missions if they want to create new alts. Personally, I think the new episodes are a welcome breath of fresh air and brings the quality of the content up. I could see that, although I'm pretty sure that if you're actually starting a brand new character, there's not really any gaps in playing the missions from 1 to 60. Uh, At least that's what some of our listeners reported. I don't really see this being that big a deal for that purpose. It's mostly for those of us who are already higher level that we run into those half-level gaps or more. Nix writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Even though I won't miss the old Romulan missions much, I still think those with no replacement should stay. Newer revamped missions are always nice, but on the other hand, I'm pretty sure I would still have enjoyed them if I had played them for the first time today, even if they're not as high quality as new missions. Admiral Daniel commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Hi guys, love the show. Just started listening. But I love what I've heard in the last few episodes. I like that the Romulan mystery is getting revamped. I was never a fan of the old episodes in that chain anyway, so I'm excited to see how they replace it. Plus, the overall quality of the episodes have improved so much, so I'd love to see what they do with this. And I agree, again, I mean, it's just, you know, the, the anything that's older than two years at this point is outdate, definitely outdated and could use a touch-up. And, you know, this stuff happens in other games, too, like when World of Warcraft did Cataclysm and rewrote the whole old world of the game. It was a pretty big shake-up, changed uh, all of the low-level quest areas and the early part of the game from scratch. Oh, wow. I didn't, know, I didn't know they did that. Oh, yeah. That was uh, two expansions ago now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to compare with what the old ones and the new ones will be like. Um, Smirk just played every single one of them on his live streams. If anybody forgot what they were like, you could probably look them up that way, and then you can play the new ones and compare it. I can already see from the few minutes I was in-game that the new ones introduced Federation characters and presumably Klingon characters to some of the events that happened in the Romulan storyline if you play as a Romulan. Because it's big, important stuff happening in the galaxy in those missions. And if you play as a Federation or Klingon, you don't really hear about them, per se. Do we know, like, if the XP, if you're going to get more for those missions than you would have for the old ones? Probably the first time. Probably the first time you run it, definitely. Because I can see what they're talking about, what USS Ackerman is talking about, less XP if you have, um, what was it, 14? 14 missions, all that XP, and then if there's only four missions and they give the same amount of XP as the 14. Oh, that's a legitimate concern, yeah. That is a legitimate concern. It should balance out in terms of their earnings. So they should have, they should give you way more XP for these four missions for each of the four missions than they would have for each of the 14. Agreed. Agreed. Our third community question is, will you start exploring sector space and playing foundry missions? Do you think that the Foundry 3 system satiates that desire for exploration missions while spotlighting user-generated content? On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Brendan writes, Regarding the exploration changes, anything that gets people to play more Foundry missions is a good thing, so the entire system can get the resourcing it deserves. That tune at the very end was absolutely awesome. Oh yes, that tune at the end of the blooper reel for last week's episode was brought to you by our new assistant audio editor, Frederick. 
Wow, really? Indeed it was. Indeed it was. I'm we have impressed. a new member of the team that we'll be introducing he just later started on the show. Too. Mm-hmm. That was his first episode last week, and he did a fantastic job. So it's it's great to be able to add such talent to an already talented team. Our Wheeler posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, The Foundry's new system is exactly what this game has needed for years, a way to randomly stumble upon content. It takes the same old worlds we fly by and transforms them into the strange new worlds we've always wanted. Having played many Foundry missions, particularly the top-rated ones, I feel the player base who have never delved into the Foundry are in for a real treat. The STO Foundry community have some top-notch talent. I only hope this inspires previous authors to create more missions and creates a new batch of authors as well. On our Facebook post for this episode, Logan Omega writes... I don't like it. As a new aspiring author, I see the foundry log will stop being used just like going to a specific point in space for STFs, which will cause my missions not to be played at all and discourages me from continuing to make missions. But I may most likely give it a try to see if I'd like it for the exploration. All right, I understand that. I understand that point. But, you know, here we have two communities that were clamoring for content. We had a community of players that were desperate for exploration missions. And then we had a community of of Foundry authors that were desperate to have their creations played. And I, you know, this was the community clamored for this, too, which was a marriage of the two, where Foundry authors could create missions that players can explore sector space with. Albeit, you have to have the doorway to the Foundry mission be a planet, so that that could be a little limiting. But uh, I, I think that this is really going to open the doors for players who feel, you know, kind of, oh, what do I do in between the missions that Cryptic pops out? And, you know, what do I do about exploration? And I've wanted to dabble into the Foundry, but I don't even know where to begin. Oh, let me just fly up to the sector and just play a mission. I think that the target audience for this is not someone who goes into the Foundry log anyway. I think the target audience for this is someone who doesn't even think about the Foundry. So I don't know that this will affect people that normally go into the Foundry log. And then they're like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore because I have this now. I think those people are still going to do the same thing they always have. But now they're going to target people who don't even think about the Foundry. I think those are the people that are going to be affected by this. I agree completely. You took the words right out of my mouth, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's great. We agree. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. In December, we announced a very special contest. We asked you to create a unique Priority One duty officer for a chance to win 5,000 Zen. It's time to announce the winner. And the 5,000 Zen goes to Tiberius. Congratulations, and a huge thanks to everyone who participated in the event. We received some amazingly creative submissions that made us laugh, and we'll be posting those on PriorityOnePodcast.com in the coming weeks. Well, that wraps up episode 207 of Priority One Podcast. But before we do, it's time to thank a few of our patrons. Isaiah Dorsch, Lee Malin, and Jeffrey Miracle. We thank these awesome patrons and the rest of the team of listeners that support us each month on patreon.com forward slash priority one. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. 
Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. This week's community questions are... Tell us about your experience with the new content introduced in the anniversary event. What do you think of the new command powers? Did you enjoy the new missions? How's that Polaron Barrage console from the Vodwar lockbox ship? There's so much to talk about. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Admirals, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. With your support, we've already hit our monthly running costs, and we are so very grateful to all of our patrons. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, Sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us that support. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, and systems designer, Jeremy Bordicus Randall, for celebrating the five-year anniversary of Star Trek Online with Priority One Podcast. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our chief audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with support from audio assistants, Admiral Winters, and the latest addition to the team, Frederick Redegard. And to QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale. To all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. To the writer of our prelude dramas, Jake Morgan. And this week, not only do we welcome Frederick to the audio team, but we welcome our new community manager in charge of our social media platforms, Chris Trone. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
like my vision is changing or something. <laughs> That's what happens when you drink too much wine. <laughs> Sweet bear of wine. Well, admirals, the fifth, the five-year anniversary, not fifth year. Who writes this? Shit? <laughs> but you guys are professionals. <laughs> Professionalism. <laughs> That's what I always say. <laughs> professional. I am not a professional, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Battling clever enemies along slot. Great. Battling. I'm getting a little verklempt. I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> that doesn't go with what I'm about to say. That's okay. <laughs> it doesn't go. Don't don't so think. Don't don't anyway? think. Don't think. Just read Cookie. Go okay. on. <laughs> oh my God. Uh. <laughs> I do. Guitar medium. That's my. That's what I play. Guitar medium. I play the instrument guitar, and I play it on medium. Oh oh. <laughs> he thought you used a guitar to speak with the spirits of the dead. <laughs> oh. I thought guitar you played medium. Medium. Next week on Guitar Medium. <laughs> John Edwards is our special guest. <laughs> the more so, is, that, is that where you like reach out to like old like dead rock stars yep. or something? Yes, <laughs> that'd be perfect. Because you have to like you have to beam up and then you gotta go to another side, you gotta cross the sector map, and you gotta go to loading. That's that's what we're getting at here. Okay. Are you sure you don't want to ask it? No, I'm positive. Yourself? I'm good. Okay. You can do it. <laughs> it feels like I'm gonna do it wrong. Do it, but do it exactly the way the way he's thinking. You do it. <laughs> Just do do an Elijah Elijah impression. Is this a test to measure the effects? That's not how I speak. Of sector oh. space. <laughs> That's amazing. Why? It's like I got Elijah in stereo here. This is amazing. I've got. <laughs> I'm just gonna be quiet. Okay. <laughs> this is Elijah. Part two, sync one. This is Elijah. I mean, this is Cookie Part two. Oh my sink gosh! Let's all do Elijah. I don't know what I what you said. I was honestly, I was shooting off a balloon gun when you said that. <laughs> That's what happens. So let's talk about the new. I don't know why I started that way. Okay. <laughs> I was really excited about the bridge you know, off. Working training. on that, uh, that okay. noble? Uh, you got a little, got a little uh, protagonist there? We do a little bit, uh, you know, he's a... Uh, you can you have some adventures and maybe a little bit... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Oh, man. <laughs> friends become friend. enemies, enemies become friends. Watch <laughs> <laughs> out for the experience. <laughs> So let's talk about the British. <laughs> the British officer system? All right. The British officer yeah, system. British. Good. <clears throat> you know what I really like? That you forgot to put the yes, yes, yes blooper in the oh, year end episode. Woohoo! You forgot all about it. And now it's still it's like so old. Can you hear me smile? I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's me smiling. <laughs> Cause we are living. Oh, jeez. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm fine. God, tell me that was recorded. Oh, oh yeah. yeah.